I'm Kat Cho, author of the Gumiho Duology and Once Upon a K-Prom. And I'm Clarabelle Ortega, author of Ghost Squad and Bitchlings, and this is Write or Die. Alrighty, so. I'd be in like 12 Starbursts today. <laughs> for happy reasons or for sad just reasons be- or neutral? Just because they're in front of me. I bought oh. them. I was like, I'd like something sweet. And now all the pinks and reds are gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can buy just pink Starbursts. There's special Hi, like Kelly. packages. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't. They didn't have that option. Just regular and tropical. <laughs> okay. Well, you didn't go to the special Starburst store, obviously, <laughs> but that's okay. I didn't. No, that's Gosh fine. darn it. Um. <laughs> so, we're just chatting Yeah, we didn't. Today. We were trying to think of, like, a topic to talk about, because sometimes we like to, you know, pre-think of, like, what's relevant, and... We just couldn't think of anything today. Part of it I was telling Clarabelle earlier is because I went to the dentist. So I, I did a good adulting thing. Um, did Have you ever heard the, the you know how they're like, if you say this, then you're a millennial. And I heard like, if you say adulting, you're definitely millennial. And I was like, I guess so. Yeah. Like, Yeah, every time you say it, I think <laughs> that. Well, I, yeah. It's hard for me because when I do something that makes me feel re- like I'm a responsible adult, it does feel it's like I do it all the time, actually. But it does feel weird. I read this article recently that was like millennials are like the stunted generation because we like grew up. Le- we grew up in this weird transition phase where we were still taught that the markers of being an adult and success were very, very tied into buying a house getting married having kids but like as you know with like the economic crisis in 2008 and with everything that's gone on like socially and stuff like that like getting married and settling down and buying a house is like being delayed more and also Mm -hmm. like it's so much harder to buy a house now because like mortgages are ridiculous and like you know more like mortgages have gone up but our salaries haven't so we f- right. so our generation feels really stunted because the things we were taught equals adult we're not, like most of us aren't achieving it yet and so we're like i guess that means i'm not yeah. an adult um yeah that makes sense yeah that's just a sidebar that has nothing to do with writing <laughs> i'm sorry you guys <laughs> i i'm really trying to wrap my well, okay let's just check in with each other how's how's your writing and publishing stuff going um, well, to be 100% honest, it's been kind of hard lately, like a mixture of like really great things and also like anxiety things at the same time. We talked about this a little bit, like um, I have a lot of good things mm-hmm. going on, but that means I'm like yeah. busier and I'm the kind of person that like if I have a call scheduled at 1 p.m., like the rest of my day is is centered around that call and I can't focus on anything mm-hmm. else. So when I have a very busy schedule, it's hard for me to get any work done. That's like long-term uh, okay. work, which is hard because that's like our lives as authors. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so right now I have a lot of like ghost squad stuff happening like this month i'm very very busy the last week of october i think i told you i have an event almost Mm -hmm. every single day um i'm gonna be away this weekend on like a weekend school visit um i and i'm doing all of that while also doing like witchlings pre promo stuff with scholastic and writing witchlings too So it's a lot like it's normal for me to be sort of a little bit overwhelmed, but I think having anxiety and the specific kind of like triggers that my anxiety has have made it a very difficult time for me. So I've been listening to a lot of Dungeons and Daddies podcasts, (laughs) um, which is very funny. Have you listened to it ever? It's interesting because there must be an overlap between D&D and authors, which now that I say that sentence, of course there is. Um, but I'm so often suggested D&D podcasts and I still haven't listened to one. So Mm. I really just need to bite the bullet and do it because I know I'll like it. Yeah, they're good. I I listened to Taz for a while, uh, but I sort of 
stopped, like, sort of lost a little bit of interest in that one. And now I'm listening to Dungeons and Daddies. And that one I really, really like. It's very okay. funny. Um, and it's, it's, I think you would like it. And um, that's been, like, helping me. But, yeah, I've just, I, it's it's weird. It's one of those things where I have a lot of exciting, fun things going on. And when you have exciting, fun things going on, um, it feels like you can't complain yes. mm-hmm. about the bad side of it. But it can get very stressful. And right now I'm anxious because I have these school visits and I'm not sure what I'm going to do with the kids. And I'm also worried that they're going to be bored and I'm going to do a bad job. So that is that's where I currently am. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you. It's actually it is kind of. interesting because on on one side of it like I love being busy because it means like that the industry still wants me you know like they still Mm -hmm. want me here they're buying my books they're like inviting me to book festivals and stuff like that um but the other side of it is that like I I can't look at like good things without overanalyzing it like, what does this mean for mm. my future career? Like, me getting invited, like, yeah. me getting invited to this anthology, like, does it mean that, you know, I won't be able to have time to write a full-length novel, and then if I don't, then I won't publish a novel next year, and then if I don't publish a full-length novel, then people will forget about me, and this and this and that, and I go on these really bad anxiety spirals for these decisions that yeah. I think, you know, two or three years ago, I would have been able to make them a little bit easier I think um I mean the good thing is is I have good friends like you that I can talk through it with and I have an amazing Mm -hmm. agent um which I'm forever grateful for her because she will spend the time to be like okay well let's talk through it as long as you need to talk through it like we went to um highlights foundation um like a couple months ago and you know because Beth who is my agent runs diverse voices incorporated so she was there and I ended up sitting with her for part of the train ride. And she's like, oh, I should ask you since we're here, like, how's your writing going? And then I just spent an hour just like talking about my feelings to her. And she like listened the whole time. And like she asked a question that if you just asked it to a friend casually, it would have been like a 15 minute conversation. But because she's mm-hmm. my agent, I was like, oh, oh, let me tell you everything that I'm feeling. <laughs> and she was so good about it, you know, um, which I really appreciate. <laughs> and, then, and Beth, if you're listening, I'm so sorry I made you listen to me for an hour on the train. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of that similar thing that you were ex- describing, Clarabelle, of like when something good happens, I can't only think of it as good. I, I, yeah. I think like, well, what what does this mean for this? And what does this mean for that? And like, am I doing too much? Or am I doing too little? Or like, well, people think that I'm doing too much. And then if people think I'm doing too much, they're going to get bored of me. They're going to get sick of me. And, and it just is this really bad anxiety spiral um, that I think happens to a lot of us as authors. And honestly, I don't know if you have ever thought of it this way, but I always do wonder if it's because when you're a debut and something good happens it could like mark you you could feel like this is going to mark the path of my career this positive thing like I'm in you know owl crate or whatever you know that means that like my debut was chosen and then later on when you're like not a shiny debut anymore good things don't feel as positive to you anymore um, I haven't okay. felt that personally, but I also feel like maybe that's because of when I mm-hmm. debuted because I debuted during a pandemic. So like anything good that happens, like feels so nice now <laughs> because like debuting during a pandemic was really, mm-hmm. really difficult. Um, But I do have the feeling of when something good happens, I, I also overthink mm-hmm. it. And I think about like, well, maybe this maybe my my thing lately has been i'm getting too many good things so that means that like something bad is gonna happen Uh, mm -hmm. um or i don't deserve this to happen and it you know what's so 
funny about it when people say like representation matters this is one of the ways in which I don't know if people realize that it matters because I think about other authors Mm -hmm. of color who do Mm -hmm. really well and I'm like wait a minute but this person who is my friend has been doing well for a really long time and like they like they have like great stuff happening and um and and nothing horrible has you know like destroyed them <laughs> or whatever like of course they've uh-huh. had ups and downs like every career has that you have moments of like panic something going wrong whatever but um i sort of remind myself like it's okay to have nice yes. things <laughs> it's okay to like succeed and to uh-huh. do well um that doesn't mean that like you're going to be punished for, for it sure. later and that's like a i think it's a combination of like a poor kid trauma and also like Catholic oh guilt. Oh my goodness. There's so many layers to this. I'm so sorry. I, it's fine. But I, I get you. I like totally feel that. Like I don't want to I don't want to make this pre-chat like our trauma pre-chat or anything like that. But like I do think like at when you have experienced a life-changing trauma in your life and the earlier you experience it I do think the more you might get rooted into this mindset without realizing it and being able to pull yourself at, out is the idea yeah. that like because you because the worst the thing that could have been the worst did happen to you once that of course it can yeah. happen to you again and you and mm-hmm. I right oh my god and yeah. you and I have both experienced yeah. trauma aka you know death of a loved one at ages that we shouldn't mm-hmm. have had to experience it um and so, like, any time I remember, I distinctly remember the difference of when I was a kid and someone was like, oh, no, like, so-and-so got into, like, an accident. I was like, oh, the, um, how are they? Like, when are they going to be okay again? Like, that was always the first thing I thought. I never thought, like, are they dead? Mm-hmm. You know? And now, yeah. if someone's yeah. like, so-and-so got in an accident, I'm like, has their family been alerted? Yeah. Are they going to survive? Are they going to mm-hmm. make it? Like, like, how much time do we have to see them? Like, those are my first thoughts now. And, and you know, so I do think, like, to transfer that over to, like, our feelings about our careers is, like, because it there's such highs and such lows one right after the other constantly in publishing that like mm-hmm. we're like of course a horrible thing will happen to me though soon like yeah. especially because it hasn't yeah. happened in a while so yeah 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 it, it that the I'm I, I laughed because when you said like when a horrible thing happens it's so much more likely like for you to think that another mm-hmm. horrible thing is gonna happen like it opens up the yeah. possibility like literally that thought woke me up in my sleep the other night and I wrote a whole passage for my YA based on that Mm, feeling mm -hmm. of like when something bad happens then then every other bad thing is suddenly it feels possible Mm -hmm. and it's a lot like when something really good happens and you achieve something you're like wow I can I can do another thing right because I did this one thing but it's like the opposite evil cousin <laughs> of that. Sure. <laughs> yes, it really is. Like, it really is. And it's so much easier for us to latch onto the negative. It's like human nature to like remember the negative more sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know why. Like, I don't know why it's like that. Like, why can't I only rem- why can't I remember the good just as much as I remember the bad? I mean, maybe it's just a me thing, but I'm pretty sure a lot of us go through this. I don't think yeah. it's just a you thing. I do think I do think that it probably has something to do with how our brains are uh-huh. wired. And um but I do think that the reason why a lot of authors can identify is cuz a lot of us are anxious mm-hmm. people. Um and I feel like it's something that many people go through and and feel. And then it doesn't help that like sometimes the community can be really toxic toxic towards like women of color who mm-hmm. do well. I, I remember uh, years ago, friends of mine who were like, I'm not announcing this specifically because I don't want people to get mad oh, at no. me. What? Oh, yeah. Because it happened to a friend of <sighs> theirs where like the friend was like announcing like a couple of good things happening to them in a row. And people were like upset <sighs> that the person was getting so many good things. Not because the person did anything wrong, mm-hmm. 
but just because like oh this person's getting too too what? too much no <laughs> i cannot i what i mean i understand the idea of being you know twitter doesn't make <sighs> any damn like sense. <laughs> i understand the thought process of being like oh because they got this one good thing it opened the door and that's why they got all this other stuff afterwards i understand kind of that thought process and it's not a thousand percent incorrect especially with certain really big markers that we know makes a difference in a person's like sales record right um but like to Mm. vocalize it in a public way that makes a person feel like they can't celebrate their (laughs) good things is just so bad baffling to me it's, it's fine let's let's not get too into that because i <laughs> obviously we don't we exist in a vacuum obviously discussing the community is part of discussing this industry and this career but i mm-hmm. i do sometimes yeah. want to take a break from talking about only social media um yeah and the yeah. jerks on it yeah, and the jerks for on sure. it. Uh, i mean you that... all know our our feelings about it there are very complicated feelings and nuanced feelings about it at this point um but yeah, I mean, well, I also, I, you know, I do think that in terms of like worrying that something bad is going to happen, I do think it's kind of like statistically rejection is a huge part of publishing. And so when you haven't got like in your logical mind, you're thinking like, Every single thing I've tried to do, like in the last three months, people have said, yeah, sure. Or, or, you know, given me the go ahead. Yeah. Does that mean that statistically I should get a no soon? Right. You know, mm. and, and like, but at the same time, like, it's not like a one for one either. It's not. It's, <laughs> it's not like for every yes, you have to, you have to get the next one. It's a no. <laughs> right. It's like, <laughs> it's just that like, not every idea is going to fly. Right. Um, and there's also a lot of rejection that we're not seeing. There's yeah. a lot of rejection that we're not seeing. There's rejection at the, like, at a corporate level where they're, they're deciding between two properties to turn into a TV show or uh-huh. someone choosing your book versus another at a bookstore. Like there's, you're getting mm-hmm. like no's are coming constantly, even if you don't see them. So like, I mm-hmm. feel like that's a good way to sort of like maybe level out your mind. If you're, if you think the same way as me. <laughs> yeah no that's actually really smart is to be like yes rejection is a fact of this industry but like no you are not required to be aware of all of it in fact you have a right to not know about most of it yeah that's okay (laughs) you have to protect your like space and that's sort of what have been having a hard time with I guess like just the the business of being in the thick of publishing with like all these different things happening at the same time while having to be creative which is the first time I'm really experiencing it because with um Ghost Squad Witchling sold the month before Ghost Squad came out Mm -hmm. so I um I wasn't working on multiple deadlines or anything like that or, or it sold like around the same exact time it came out actually uh-huh. so I, so I so I wasn't like having to do promo and work on a book at the same time and I'm working on a sequel which you know you know how that is it's it's not easy <laughs> sequels are hard yeah dude. yeah and uh, of course I'm going like big with this one like doing like a whole Ooh. like you'll see it's a lot but <laughs> <I'm> so excited <laughs> but yeah so so it's 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 been like a, a mixed bag of things lately like the barnes and noble thing has been really great oh um, i'm so proud of thank you. you that is so amazing and you totally deserve thank you like it, it's been uh, really cool if it, i i wrote about this before but i um it felt sort of like a do-over and not getting to see oh. my books in bookstores to getting to see them in like every single Barnes and Noble, like on a special display, giant posters. Like it's oh. been really nice. So I feel very grateful oh. for that. And I'm going to cry. No, no crying. crying. <laughs> oh my God. No, it's so cool. Like it really is. It's such a big deal. Yeah. Uh, no, that's so, that's so great. I, Honestly, and Ghost Squad is such a good book. Thank like, you. 
I'm so glad that people are, are, are being able to discover it. It's so hard too, because like you, even if you know, like I wrote a really good book, like if you're not getting the support from the big players, like the bookstores and the, your, your own publisher and that kind of stuff, then you have to like be resigned to the idea of like, okay, like I know I wrote a really good book and, but maybe not a lot of people will read it, but that's okay. Cause I know it's good, but like, that's not always a consolation. Like it doesn't always right. like make you feel yeah. that great, yeah. you know? So I, I'm really happy that you're getting this support. Thank you. Me too. Um, I'm excited. And thanks to everyone who's been buying ghost squad as well. Yeah. It's, it's that's so cool. It's neat. People should definitely do, you know, like fun photo shoots. Oh, you know what? This episode isn't going to go out until 2022. But I feel like you will you guys all own it by now. Yeah. Because you all went out and bought it during the special Barnes & Noble sale. So now that you own at least one, if not 20 copies. <laughs> like some people Do some I photo know. shoots. <laughs> yeah. Keep the word out there. You know, spread the word. That's what we always say. Yeah. Spread the word. <laughs> Um. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You went into like no. into like big sister mode for a second there. It's so yeah. Well, I'm just so proud of you. Oh, I just thanks, I really Kat. am. Like I'm so happy that like people are finally like picking up what I've always known. <laughs> you know, it's frustrating. Yeah, you know, it's like being a fan of someone who's super duper talented, like an underground like indie artist mm -hmm. and being like, why aren't more people talking about this? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I've gotten my book has gotten another shot. Yes. I'm very happy. I'm very happy for you. You're BTS <laughs> around Cir circa BTS. 2017. <laughs> you know, people like y'all being being army before. 2017 was a different experience <laughs> like the hate that we got <gasps> online like people hated bts and being army wasn't easy but now they're loved not that i'm saying clarabelle got yeah. hate or anything but i'm just saying no but i'm just saying i understand what up. you mean like being an underdog and then people finally being like hey wait a minute hey you're actually really talented what <laughs> Be like, uh, yeah, I've been saying it. <laughs> it's funny because I think that's one of the reasons why I love them mm -hmm. as much as I do, knowing that they had to go through Oh, they through went through that. so much. Because um, that's not easy to keep going in the face of that yeah. kind of thing. So if you're listening, Namjoon. <laughs> and Sugar. Uh, just DM me. Yungi. <laughs> That's my message to him. <laughs> I know you told him you loved him. I said he was doing well. Oh. <laughs> anyway, okay. Imagine he oh, is shut listening. Up. <laughs> <laughs> like my heart just started beating really fast. I don't. This, I know he's not listening. Uh, I can't. I know your cheeks are red. I can. It's the thing it. is, like, okay, the Clarabelle does this to me all the time. I, when I like someone, whether it's pure, innocent, you know, love, or, you know, I think they're attractive, or anything, any kind of like, I get really nervous around them, and Clarabelle knows it, so uses it against me. <laughs> yeah. Today, we have Sarah Raleigh on the show. Sarah Raleigh grew up in Southern Ontario writing stories about freakish little girls with powers because she secretly wanted to be one. She is a huge fangirl of anything with manga to sci-fi slash fantasy TV to Japanese role-playing games, but she will swear up and down at book signings that she was inspired by Jane Austen. Sarah has been nominated for the Aurora Award for Best Young Adult Novel and works in the community doing writing workshops for youths and adults. On top of being a YA writer, Sarah has a PhD in English, which makes her a doctor. So it turns out she didn't have to go to medical school after all. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hi, Welcome. guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. We're really happy to have you on the show and talk about your books. Um, so... Let's just jump right in. Can you uh, 
tell us how you got started writing, um, how you got your um, agent, if you have one, how your publishing career came about. Just give us the whole story. Yeah, I mean, I do have an agent, uh, Natalie Lacozel at uh, the Irene Goodman Agency. And, um, it, uh, you know, I think my writing journey was probably a little bit easier than most people's. I did get a lot of rejections um, when I started, but it took me about six or so months to get an agent. And that's the agent that I'm with now. Um, and um, it was pretty difficult in terms of selling my first book. And that's something that I think most people should know. It's perfectly normal not to sell your book to publishers that you got, like the book that you got your agent with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, That's something that I went through. And uh, I just kept writing, kept writing. And eventually I did event- um, get a publisher. But that publisher, I think, kind of, it was an indie publisher from the UK and that imprint, Strange Chemistry, kind of went defunct about a month after they published my first book. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, So that was pretty tough for me, but eventually I did write a book series called The Effigy Series, and I sold it to Simon & Schuster, and I've been with that publisher ever since. Amazing. And I remember hearing about The Effigies series. When when did it come out? 2016? Yes, the first book, Fate of Flames, came out 2016. Yeah, I remember hearing about it because that was around the time that like I got my agent and I was like really into like sci-fi and fantasy, especially by like diverse authors. And oh my, the concept was so cool. Like it was it was like kind of correct me if I'm wrong it felt a little like sailor moon a dark sailor moon like yeah kind of meets yeah. like I don't want to say avatar just because of the elemental magic but it did a little bit feel like that too yeah you know sailor moon and avatar both kind of have that elemental like kids with powers kind of thing yeah and I really wanted to do a dark take on sailor moon and bring it into the real world of celebrities and fandoms and things like that. So what if these girls were celebrities? Like what if the Sailor Scouts or Sailor Senshi, if you're a purist, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what if they were literally celebrities, like TikTok celebrities or influencers, and they each had their own fandoms that went to bat for them. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they had to fight these giant kaiju monsters and save the world. So I kind of had that in mind with the Epigy series. And um, yeah, I'm really glad that I was able to kind of be my geeky self with that one, you know? Totally, totally. And, And like, it's definitely so obvious that you were, you know, absorbing like anime and manga and stuff like that as stories beforehand um, because like there's so many cool elements in it that like definitely reminded me of all of those things. Um, So how was it like with this first trilogy? Like what was your experience debuting, you know, in the before times? (laughs) Can we call it it that? (laughs) I mean, I just, I just published this new book called the bones of ruin um, last September you know, a month ago. Uh-huh. And it's just been very, very different. You know, when I published Fate of Flames in 2016, I was able to actually go to a bookstore and have this party with, um, I don't know if you guys know E.K. Johnson. She oh, writes yeah. a lot of Star Wars books mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just a lot of great um, fiction, another Canadian author, science fiction. And, you know, we had this sort of dual, um, just this dual release party. And there were so many people there. We could have cake and it was great. and It was fun. I invited my family. Mm-hmm. This time it was very much online. Yes. And that was fine in terms of at least people that wouldn't be able to see you regularly because they can't get to Toronto 
because they're not in the region or not in the area, at mm-hmm. least, you know, you can do online things um, and have people come in that way and interact with you that way. But not having that person to person interaction was a bit, you know, the, something a little sad about that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Definitely. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even on a side, well, you know, I, I debuted during the pandemic, um, but I had gone to mm-hmm. and done events in person and just me and Kat always talk about like the loss of even being able to go out to dinner after like book launches, even if it's not your yeah. own and just interacting with writers in person, a lot gets lost there, you know, especially when like the online landscape, um, got so contentious during COVID because everyone was sort of just stuck inside and uh, cranky. But it's it's always interesting to see sort of like the perspective of someone who got to to do like the, uh, you know, an in-store signing and then what like how it changed to when it when they had to do all virtual. I mean, well, it does open up you know, it opens up possibilities. Again, like I was able to do um, an event with JL, amazing author. And mm-hmm. um, I think we did it through a Pennsylvanian bookstore. And I, being a Canadian author, I have never really done anything, you know, in America before or oh, with okay. in partnership with American bookstores and things like that so that was a nice opportunity and um, you know after we get through sort of the thick of things of this the pandemic I would love to do more traveling to America and meet some American fans yeah that would be really cool I'm I <laughs> I was talking to some other friends today and we were saying how like I'm trying not to get hype about events (laughs) but like the hope of like having stuff in like next year and like things coming up is just so much like I don't know it's just very exciting to think about and I just really can't wait until we can all see each other again and that's really cool that you want to come here and and do events here and stuff I think that's awesome I think some good things have come out of this whole mess right and like I think a change of perspective and like opening up your mind to like other possibilities is one of Mm -hmm. them for a lot of us yeah and being and us like realizing that um making things more accessible actually isn't as impossible as everyone kind of claimed it was in the past like I I do think like in the past when like people would bring up the fact that like not everyone can afford to go to these things like not everyone has the means to travel to like go to these big conferences and festivals people would be like oh well you know just follow the hashtag and and then you'll feel like you're part of it it's like okay well apparently we could have tried to look more into it we could have done more and so now that we do know that these resources exist, it, I, I hope it's harder for people to brush it off um, and that we continue to try to work harder to make things accessible for people. Yeah, I agree. agree. 100%. Even like academic conferences, it's crazy that like back in 2019, I couldn't, I had like, um, I was going to do a paper in Vancouver and then something came up. I literally just could not travel, but they couldn't accommodate me. It's like, and they couldn't accommodate anybody. So I had to have somebody like read my paper for me, but I couldn't participate in the conference itself. And it's like now with the pandemic, suddenly it's like, oh, there's, you know, there's this online um, option. And it's like, well... (laughs) so clearly it was possible yeah (laughs) but you just didn't yeah and it's so it's it's been like I had been um streaming 
in-store events on Periscope, which RIP, um, on Twitter. But like I had, I I had done that so many times, like way before any of this happened. And I would always get so many views and people would be so shocked. And it's like, it's because people want to be able to see these things and they're not around. Do you know what I mean? Like um, people in other countries, people who can't afford to go to events, people who, you know, can't go to the store because it's not wheelchair accessible um all of these different things that could affect um attendance and all i had to do literally was set up my tripod connect to the wi-fi and start streaming something so 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 simple yeah so able to like watch k-pop concerts Oh my goodness. Um, okay, so for people who don't know what The Bones of Ruin is about, could you tell us like uh, a summary in your own words? The Bones of Ruin, I like to call it 19th century supernatural hunger games. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's about um, an African tightrope dancer who is corralled into this tournament to the death. Um, with other kind of supernatural quote-unquote freaks um, as they're called at the time and um, she doesn't know who she is she knows that she can't die but she doesn't know why so she's sort of given this ultimatum that if you sort of fight in this tournament you know you will get to know who you are and find out your identity but the problem is that some stones are better left unturned. Ooh. Um, <laughs> so we're both like, ah. <laughs> so what was the research process like for this book? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I had already done some research into the 19th century just through some of the work that I do, mm-hmm. like some post-colonial type stuff and just learning about imperialism and colonialism in university but I didn't really know there's not a lot of mainstream resources on looking at the life of black people in Europe in the 19th century or before that Mm -hmm. so I had to really like search for books like there's this great book called um black Victorians black Victoriana and I was able to learn just about all these really cool black figures that were in 19th century Europe. And you, you just don't see that. And a lot of books, you know, set in, you know, 19th century Britain, Victorian Britain or, you know, period pieces in general. Um, so I had to do a lot of that research, a lot of, you know, Googling, going to the library, finding books and just trying to learn about what it would be like to be a person of color and a marginalized person in this place, in this era, you know, like slavery was abolished in Britain in the British colonies um, in 1834. But that doesn't mean that there weren't other forms of discrimination And at the same time, if you watch something like Sherlock, you know, Sherlock Holmes, and I love those movies and the TV show, but it's like you barely see any black people Mm -hmm. or people of color in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to get a sense of of what it was like for for people like us in that era. So it was just a lot of research into that and looking into things that were kind of sad sometimes to read about, but it was very enlightening and important. That's so, that's so great that you were able to like write this book and like kind of shed some light on, onto that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like when, um, gosh, now beast, uh, fantastic beasts, the movie oh, yeah. came out and people were very critical about the fact that it was very white um for you know and new york city was definitely more diverse than that <laughs> even at that time it's during so. the harlem renaissance or they yeah me, like it, w- it was <laughs> it was ridiculous it's i mean in yeah. cases like that i think the writers go out of their way to not see 
mm-hmm. people that look like them. You know what I mean? Like they go out of their way to not see non-white people. Yeah. And it's ridiculous because then people will say, I remember, I don't know if you guys remember the television show. What was that? Um, Agent Carter. Do you remember Agent Carter? Yes. From yeah. Earth? I never watched it. I never it, watched but I it. I knew about it. Yeah. Yeah. And there was like this discussion about like, you know, why aren't there any people of color? Like this is in America and in, in the 1940s and the cast is white and a famous author um, weighed in and said like, oh, either there weren't any people there or they were all like maids and you don't want to see black people's maids and just saying all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's like, <sighs> you have to literally be going out of your way to deny the presence of black people and people of color and just the diversity of experiences in order to end up with that kind of product. It's really messed up because it's buying into this very, like, you know, honestly, this very white lens of the idea Mm -hmm. that like people of color are relegated to only certain like menial positions that there was no mm-hmm. way that a black person or another person of color could have been anything other than the help or a maid or like, and and then them using the excuse of being like, well, we didn't want to like be insensitive and only show them as maids as their excuse. <laughs> it, in, in, they think they're saying like the right thing. They're like, oh, P- I will get celebrated for acknowledging that this w- would be wrong. But really they're just showing their whole entire ass Right. And their whole ignorance. It's super ignorant. And it's just like, to say that, like, to say that black people were only maids, it's like, it's historically and categorically untrue. Yeah. Literally, a quick Google search would tell you that that's untrue. So, you know, it's just, there's such an importance. Um, there's such a need for black voices and, you know, voices of the marginalized of those of us on the margins, literally, mm-hmm. um, that have been left out of being creators and being in those rooms, making the decisions, you know, in those writing rooms or, you know, wherever, um, these scripts are made and, and take place. Um, we need to, there's such an importance to have more of us telling stories and to have our perspectives, whatever those perspectives might be to have those perspectives out there. Mm -hmm. No, definitely couldn't agree more. Um, So this book, um, the bones of ruin is the first book in another trilogy, correct? It's a trilogy. So since you've written your writing you know, your second trilogy of your career, uh, we like to kind of, we have a lot of listeners who are like beginner writers. Um, Mm. So we do like to ask authors who've like been through it to give advice. Um, And Clarival and I talk about this a lot because Clarival, you're writing your first sequel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Help me, Sarah. So yeah, Sarah, how do you craft like satisfying books that like are interesting on their own but also tell a whole story arc across multiple books oh gosh it's not easy like I I feel you Claire but it's not easy (laughs) I'm in the middle of writing book two for the bones of ruin and it's still like I've done this before and I keep telling myself that like you've done this before Sarah you could do it again it's (laughs) it's always tough I mean I would say having um little synopses I guess for each book mm-hmm. is really good to have so you have an idea of where the story is heading and of where you want to end up so and, and you can have that even before you write the first book mm-hmm. you can write and a synopsis is really just um, like maybe a two-page document outlining the main events of a book from beginning to end not leaving anything out and if you could do that for book one, book two, book three, how many, how many, however many books you have, even if it's just a one-page document, because you don't have to have all the answers right away. But if you have like the main events 
and you have a general map of where it's going, it can really help so you don't feel so lost when you write the second book. And, you know, having a point to your story, to your series, is really helpful. And I'm finding that now because I keep having to go back to, okay, what is the central theme or the central idea for this whole story? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be didactic. Like, it doesn't have to be, I'm trying to teach this moral. But I feel like all good stories have a central argument or a central main idea, you know, maybe it's about um, black women deserve to have agency over our bodies. You know, that's kind of the main idea behind the bones of ruin. Um, Or it could be that, you know, even heroes are not perfect, that especially there's so much pressure on women to be perfect and reach this ideal. And we need to understand that weaknesses are a strength, even for heroes. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I wanted to say in the effigy series. So having that as like the main center of the point of the series allowed me to sort of stay on track when it came to writing the second book, you know, and I think just, just, finding time to write something (laughs) you know especially like writing during the pandemic has been tough Mm -hmm. Um, there's all kinds of traumatic things that I think we're all going through like a shared trauma and sometimes turning on the news and seeing what's going on in the world it can just weigh on you it can really weigh on your spirits so being gentle with yourself, but just giving yourself some time to just write something down. Even if it's bad, it's fine. You can go back and, you know, edit it and revise. But just writing something down, that's a victory. Even if it's a paragraph. That's really good advice. And that actually does make me feel better because I feel like I do have a, a plan and like a, a an overall point. So I feel Yay. more confident. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find, Sarah, that when you are first drafting your books, you already know, like when you're first like have the idea, do you know like what themes you want to touch on? Or is it like you're discovering it when you're first starting to draft it? Well, I'm, I try to have ideas like the concept and the themes, the main arguments, that kind of stuff already in my head. Um, but you'll never know. Like when you're writing, you just discover new things all the time. Yeah. Um, you may come up with an entirely new character that you never, you know, thought of including. And it's like, whoa, this character like adds so much dimension or you may add a character and then realize that you can take this character in a completely different direction and just go for it. And that sort of exposes something new and exciting about your story that you never thought of. So you can like revisit that in the revisions. Yeah. I feel mm. like I feel like sometimes readers will come to me and they're like, I love how you like played with this <laughs> kind of like imagery and themes. And I'm like, yes, I definitely <laughs> did that on purpose. <laughs> yes. Always nod and smile and say, I absolutely meant to do that. <laughs> Well, and the thing is, too, is like sometimes they're putting out something to you that you definitely did unconsciously. Subconsciously. Um, or subconsciously. Thank you. I'm <laughs> I was writer. unconscious when I, I wrote I was this. asleep when I wrote my book. <laughs> you subconsciously did it. Because some people have pointed out themes that are like very relevant to me as a human. And mm. I'm like, oh, my God, did I? write that into my book and I'm like I think I did actually but yeah. I didn't realize I was that does happen it. that definitely does happen like I think the more you write also the more you end up weaving things together without even realizing that you're doing it um, yeah and it just works out and you're like it was my brain my brain was on <laughs> autopilot like <laughs> I trained her well okay what, what do you want <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we all care about things. We all have things deep inside that we care about. And, you know, that I think it makes sense that that will just come out in your writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Gumi Young has a secret. 
She's a gumiho, a shape-shifting nine-tailed fox that must hunt down men and devour their energy in order to live forever. No one in modern-day Seoul believes in the old tales anymore, which makes it the perfect place to hide and to hunt. But Myung's life is turned upside down when she saves the life of a human boy on Jihoon. And after Myung saves Jihoon's life, the two form a tenuous friendship that blooms into romance, setting them down a path that will soon force Myung to choose between her immortal life and Jihoon's. Wicked Fox and its companion novel Vicious Spirits finds inspiration in Korean mythology, culture, and K-dramas. Wicked Fox has been called a vibrant debut novel that employs Korean genre conventions for an utterly original take on the young adult fantasy by Entertainment Weekly and fresh and fast-paced by School Library Journal Review. Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits are out now from Penguin Random House wherever books are sold. Yeah, for sure. So is there something else that you're working on now that you can tell us about? Or is is the trilogy your focus for the moment? The trilogy is definitely my focus for the moment. Um, I do have other stories that I'm kind of thinking of. Um, but, you know, I definitely want to get into middle grade writing. Ooh. Um, I just love middle grade and... Um, I have a little niece and I'm just thinking like, I want to write stories for her because she keeps wanting to to read some of my books and I'm worried about like, oh, but there's swear, there's swear words in this <laughs> one. And, you know what I mean? And yeah, you know, the bones of ruin is, is, it deals with really mature themes. So I'm like, I mean, obviously middle grade can deal with mature themes also, but there's like a way to do it. So yeah, yeah it for sure. Yeah, come to the come to our side, <laughs> the middle grade side. Recruiting. Clarabelle's recruiting for the middle grade <laughs> people. Oh my goodness! And and do you so do you think you'll keep on writing in historical settings, or do you think that was just like specifically what you were interested in for what Bones of Ruin was trying to do? Yeah, I think it's the latter. Um, I don't try to, I don't want to like sort of box myself in, in terms of saying like, okay, I'm only going to write this genre and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, if I have an idea for a story that is historical again, I would definitely do that. But you know, it may be secondary world fantasy next time. Mm -hmm. I have no idea, but, um, you know, I try and keep myself flexible. I'm always down for that i'm 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 oh i have such respect for people who write in like actually existed real world historical settings because i'm like the amount of research you have to do like i could never (laughs) i have like at like a few like short like interstitials that are like from old korean myths and even with that i was like oh there's so much pressure like what if i get it wrong <laughs> it's like two pages in my book and i still freak i know out. <laughs> and this, you never know who's gonna read it and we'll point this out and be like that never happened yeah <laughs> <sighs> but like more power to you because honestly not only are you writing about a historical setting but you're like you said you're writing about people and and experience and a a life that doesn't have a lot of documentation out there so I think it's great that this book is available for people yeah and (laughs) and everyone has to go buy 20 copies right now yeah it's the write or die rule that's the rule (laughs) (laughs) it is the rule (laughs) Um. Okay, Sarah, so everyone who's on the show tells us their most embarrassing publishing-related story or something they wish they'd known before they started. You could do either or. You could do both. It is up to you. That It's a good question. And, you know, since you sent that email, I've been, like, thinking about it, thinking about it. I actually feel like, you know, in terms of a mistake that I made in publishing, like something that I wish I knew and I, I kind of do see this as being embarrassing, even though I think it depends on your perspective. But I wish that I didn't fear people in the industry so much. Mm. You know what I mean? And yeah. I don't know if it's embarrassing or not. I kind of feel embarrassed over it. But when I first started, I was terrified of everybody. I was so scared of saying the wrong thing or making the wrong move or, you know... 
you kind of look at big name authors and editors and agents, you know, and you feel so small sometimes and you, you really shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, these are just regular people um, just like you, you know, everybody is just, you know, out there trying to make their bread, you know what I mean? Trying to make their bag, <laughs> trying to <laughs> do their thing. Everybody shares this love of books and reading and sometimes just approaching someone like a human being and just saying, hey, what's up? And you'll be surprised like how cool and open people can be and how willing people are to give advice, um, to make to help you make connections and things like that. So I would say, you know, I wish that I had been slightly less terrified and sort of less insular because thinking about other people in such a way made me feel small and I Mm kind of alienated myself because I was scared to sort of get involved. Um, But that was very much at the beginning of my career. And now I have a better understanding of people. You know, I talk to people and I've met a lot of really cool individuals and that's authors that's agents that's editors and you really get to see sort of their points of view and what they're struggling with and I've made some hopefully lifelong friendships so you know it's it's not a terrible mistake I think it's understandable for Mm -hmm. people that are Mm -hmm. new to feel that way but I would definitely just encourage people you know don't don't worry like don't think of yourself as being less than mm-hmm. any. that's really good advice and I actually do think that's something that even people who have been around for a little while struggle with and especially I feel like we're gonna have this entire sort of incoming class of authors who debuted during pandemic times who mm-hmm. have not been able to interact in person with anyone um, mm-hmm. and I've talked to a couple of them and they are really intimidated about their first like in-person events Aww. and there is like a level of sort of like imposter syndrome that like, there because you know they, they all they know is their computer screen um <laughs> in terms of interaction so yeah. i think that it would be really good for like those of us who've been around or people who are like naturally extroverted to be extra like welcoming and mm-hmm. kind to one another as especially new writers as we like adjust um once we start having events and stuff uh because yeah it can be hard and, and intimidating especially if you're a fan of books right like authors are are like famous people <laughs> like like I, have you seen lee bardugo walk through like book con because until you've experienced that you you don't you don't know sort of like how much people really admire authors who are like our book mm-hmm. readers like yeah like yeah. we're big i wish that i could experience that it was okay like people will like Everyone just stops talking, and you can it's truly like seeing everyone's heads move in the same rate because everyone's like tracking her across the right. floor. It's wild, right? But like also, like, like there's no, there's no one who deserves it more than Lee. Lee like, is awesome, yeah, a delightful human being. So so happy that she gets the queen treatment. treatment yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what when I first saw her at BookCon, she was she like. It, it was like she was gliding and it was also her yeah. like her clothing she had like this long black cape Lonely. with like silver oh my god that's the exact image that i had in my mm-hmm. mind with this like <laughs> long platinum blonde hair like a, like a queen cape. cape yeah and mm-hmm. tall and just very elegant and so you the what you picture lee bardugo being in your head like when you see her like she 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 is that and uh, but then she's like also the nicest person ever yeah. so yeah. but yeah so like we the way we see authors like in our like micro community it makes sense to be intimidated yeah. by one another right or if you're like a querying author like being intimidated by people like agents because you feel like they have this like sort of key to your happiness sometimes yeah they have more power <laughs> yeah they do mm-hmm. they actually do have power in the industry yeah. like 
Yes. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's great that you shared it because I feel like other people will definitely be able to relate. And it's really good advice. It's really good advice because it's also like we always say a business. And like when you remember like, hey, Mm -hmm. we're all human beings. And also like this is my job as well as Mm -hmm. a place where I socialize and meet people. It makes it easier to make like smart decisions for yourself, too. I I think of it in a very, this is going to maybe sound weird, but you said you like K-pop. I think of it in a very Korean way of like, Mm -hmm. um, so for people who don't know the Korean terms, there's this thing that we call people call sanbae or sanbae-nim, which means like senior, you're you're senior to me in, in my field or my industry. So I do think of people like Lee as my sanbae, but like I don't, but that doesn't mean that she's, above my reach I just I have respect Mm -hmm. for her because of the experience she has but like there's a there's so many cases of like someone who's someone's sunbae being really friendly with their hubei which means junior in k-pop and in korean culture like it doesn't mean we can't be friendly with each other I just respect them those are that makes a lot of sense to me that's a good way of thinking about it yeah Yeah, just go full k-pop with it You'll have fun. It'll be great. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us, Sarah. This was such an enlightening conversation. Thanks for having me. I really love doing stuff like this. So if you guys have, you know, any other slots open, you just want to chat, definitely just bring me up. We're going to call you every night now. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to be like, Sarah, we need need someone to talk to about this. Um, can you let everyone know where they can find you on the internet? Oh, yeah. People can find me at uh, my website, which is sarahrawley.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-R-A-U-G-H-L-E-Y.com. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter under the same handle. So at S underscore Raleigh. Awesome. Yay. We'll put all those links in the show notes. And thank you so much again, Sarah, for being on the show. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Write or Die. Be sure to check out Wicked Fox by Kat Cho. And Ghost Squad by Clarabel A. Ortega. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. See you next time, wordies. And don't forget to spread the word.